and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing and your host for this episode. Now, earlier this month, I received a copy of the 2017 Product Planning Report from Product Plan uh, that dug into a variety of the challenges that companies face today in their product planning and road mapping process. And I lost oof, a good hour, easily, of my day uh, reading through this report. I found it super interesting, and so I reached out to the author with an invitation to join our show. And so I'm thrilled to welcome Sean Hunkel, Product Marketing Manager at Product Plan, to the show. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for having me. Thank you. I figured, you know, I, I lost an hour to the report, so I would take an hour of your time now. <laughs> it would be fair. <laughs> Works for me. It'll even out. Yes, no, but it was a great report. So tell me, tell a little bit um, about yourself and your background and how you joined Product Plant. Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a product marketing manager at Product Plant. And Product Plant, if you don't know, or for those of you who don't know, is a, a visual road mapping tool. And we make it easy for product managers to build and share beautiful roadmaps. So we really see ourselves as a uh, strategic communication tool. And before I joined Product Plan, I previously worked for a company called AppScale, which uh, did sort of open source platform as a service. So if I go all nerdy or cloud computing on you, <laughs> uh, feel free to stop me, Rebecca. Um, but yeah, I've spent the last seven years in digital and product marketing and and now I'm kind of working uh, at Product Plan and working with product managers. Excellent, excellent. Some of my favorite things there. Plus, I just love the phrase "beautiful roadmaps." Uh, <laughs> we do too. Yes. All right. So let's dive right into the report. Can you give me uh, a little overview of the goals? What was your goals behind creating the survey and running uh, and running that and the report that you generated? Sure. So this was actually our second annual product planning survey. It's something that we started two years ago and we're, we're going to continue to do and expand upon. And the idea really is to get a sense of how people around the world and how product managers are planning for and building products. And so we uh, originally developed a survey and expanded it this year. And we send it out to the product plan community. So our users, our blog subscribers, everybody that we kind of touch on a regular basis. And then we also expand it to other product management uh, communities on LinkedIn, on Slack, et cetera. And so for this year, we got around 500 responses from a wide variety of companies and organizations um, from small startups up to very large enterprises all around the globe. And we got a really good cross section of PMs from all sorts of walks of life. That's great. And 500 uh, is a great number for a survey, right? A good cross-section. So you've got some good information. So when you've talked to all these product managers and they're, they're deep in their jobs, what did you kind of, what was uncovered as some of the biggest challenges they faced? So the survey, for a little context, was broken up into three parts. So we tried to get the demographics of who we talked with, so their job title, their experience, to kind of color their responses and be able to extrapolate some trends. Uh, we act, asked about their planning process, so kind of from start to finish, what tools are you using, how are you going about this, who's the audience for this. Um, and then we closed it with their kind of success rates based on the different uh, planning processes that they have. And so we wanted to be able to connect the dots between experience level and the tools that they're using or between their prioritization methods and how successful they were at the end of pushing a product live. And so we kind of had that full 
uh, that full story. And so we got a lot of very interesting data points. I think, as you touched on, the biggest product management challenges was one of the most interesting. So one of the main responses that we got here was that PMs were really challenged working with UX and UI teams. So I think anecdotally, we hear a lot about PMs that have challenges working with other teams within their organization. Mm -hmm. But UX and UI was one that I thought would be maybe lower down on that challenges list. You know, after engineering, after marketing, then kind of comes the challenges with UX and UI. But I think what this survey showed was that although it's not the number one day to day, it's a challenge that every PM kind of faces no matter what company you mm -hmm. work at no matter what size the organization is, there's always going to be a little bit of challenge slash friction slash translation working between the product teams and the UX UIP. I have to say, when I was reviewing the results, that surprised me as well, and I, um, that the UX and UI was the highest. But then to, to kind of echo your point, I think uh, everybody faces it, and I think it's, it's fundamentally a, a resource challenge as well. Every company is looking to either create or expand their UX and UI groups. So there is a, a, a real need in this area for talent. And so, so many companies are looking for it or just getting ready to do it that almost all of the companies that we deal with are under-resourced in that area. So that's either friction then between product management kind of vying for an under-resourced area, or in some cases, it means that part of this role kind of lands on the product manager's lap and they're not familiar with how to do this, right? They're, you know, kind of trying to make it up and happen, but it's very different than having that skill. So I think the big part of it is resourcing in this area that can end up both sides being frustrated as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what we hear on a daily basis is uh, a shortage of resources on that front. And like you said, a lot of times that will fall to uh, products uh, to do list. And that's kind of a bad situation. Yeah. Product people doing the UI UX work. And that's, and I think it's also just more and more critical these days, UX, UI. It's no longer like, oh, we have a great product and we should have a good UI. It's, it's fundamental to what the product is, right? It's not an afterthought. It's not a packaging. It is, in fact, a core functionality. So, Definitely. Yes. Excellent. All right. So their number one challenges was UX, UI play. What else did they list as their big challenges? Yeah, so this was one that was pretty spread out on the responses, understandably. So uh, we got a lot of people writing in with their oh. additional challenges and other. But some of the ones that bubbled to the top, we got a lot of people having issues managing the backlog. A lot of people sort of having issues with communication, either externally or internally. Um, one of the product managers I talked with at kind of a medium-sized software company his quote was that keeping internal teams on the same page is our biggest challenge. So I think mm. that concept of keeping the engineering, marketing, UX, everybody aligned um, is a big one. But then also kind of that communication externally um, is, is a, a challenge as well. Working with the product marketing folks or, or working with investors and keeping them in the loop on the big picture, that sort of thing. And then finally, kind of the idea of getting consensus on product directions. Mm. So tied in with that internal communication is how are we getting buy-in and feedback from all the people that we need to and what does that process look like and are we doing it as efficiently and as frictionless as possible. So in this area, I know you dug in a little bit in terms of who with, so the in product strategy that they need to communicate and get buy-in, but sort of who was also charged with setting that strategy. 
Um, what did you find there and did those results surprise you? Yeah, this was one that um, kind of we had an idea going into it and our hypothesis was was pretty much proven in the survey response. So uh, the overwhelming majority of um, people setting the strategic company goals for organizations was the executive team. And so that was no surprise for us. Um, we, we see this top-down planning strategy a lot. And I think uh, a big part of this was the, the wording of the questions. So who is responsible for setting strategic company goals in your organization is a very different question from who is responsible for creating product strategy in your organization, that sort of thing. Um, so in our results, it was the executive team followed by product management. Um, and that was uh, that was kind of what we expected here. No, and I think that's that's a really good clarification because when I first read this, I uh, had missed the nuance of the question, and I was really surprised. I was, you know, thinking product plan. I was thinking roadmaps. This must be about product strategies. And then that really surprised me that the the majority of the time it was the executive team setting that strategy. But to your point, if the, if it's the difference between a company and strategic organizational strategy, uh, yes, you would expect that from the executives, and then it's the product teams job to build the product strategy that will help achieve the overall arching strategy. Yes, exactly. And we see that kind of, um, a lot of times we see it as sort of a three-layer cake and you have the executives who are creating these overall company goals and these overall strategies. And then kind of on the product layer, you have people building roadmaps to, to build products that align and meet those goals. And then kind of that strategy gets pushed down another layer for execution. And so you're integrating with a JIRA or tracker to make sure that roadmap gets turned into uh, cards and stories that are completed and products are pushed and created. And so it kind of that top down has has sort of three layers to it is how we see it. Okay, so let's talk about the little, the middle layer of our cake, the delicious filling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, of the product strategy, how are people... First of all, how far are they talking? When you talk product strategy, the companies that you guys talk to, are they planning two weeks out, the ne end of the next sprint, six months, five years? What kind of timeline are we, <laughs> are we looking at? All over the board. It depends on who you talk to. But uh, we, for our survey, um, the most popular sort of time frame for planning out your roadmaps is in that one year time frame. This is for kind of on the, on the strategic level of what is our one year plan for our product. And we, uh, we talked with quite a few people to kind of dig into this and, and understand the details of it. Um, so we would interview or, or have kind of email conversations with them. And one of the people I talked with at a larger company said that they conduct like a yearly planning to build out these roadmaps, but anything more than six months is constantly changing. And so in the agile environment, they want to have that one-year plan, but it's also a balance with staying flexible and continually changing uh, their, you know, feature demands and the prioritization, et cetera. And so um, I think that's kind of the dichotomy of having the one-year plan, but also staying agile. And that's reflected in the fact that the next two timeframes that were most popular were three to six months and two to three months. Mm. And I do think that that's the 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 kind of um, balancing act that we do between being flexible and being able to change quickly and being able to be predictable as well, right? Um, exactly. But it is a far way from, you know, uh, when I first started in technology and you'd get an RFP and it'd be like, <laughs> you know, what are you going to have in your product in three to five years? And you're like, well, all right. And you'd, you know, <laughs> yeah. you'd make things up. But luckily nobody came back and audited you against that because um, it would no doubt have changed. 
All right. Yeah, and we we're this is a kind of a surprising thing because at Product Plan we have um, we have traction in sort of industries that we would otherwise. Uh, not really expect. So in government and healthcare, these areas where I would associate uh, a five-year plan or massive RFPs, um, they're kind of seeing the value in, in shifting to a roadmap tool and then also just kind of shortening those timeframes. Um, even though you're uh, in a highly regulated field or even though you're perhaps slower moving, there's still value in shortening that, that strategic plan to that sort of one-year mark. Does that also mean uh, even within the one year? Do pe- how frequently are people updating and reviewing their roadmaps? Are they static one year and it's and it's you know in stone, or are they reviewing it fairly periodically? We find that they're reviewing it very frequently. Um, again, this kind of depends on on the organization, and a startup will be tweaking their roadmap really uh, really frequently, especially in the early days. Whereas once you get a little bit more set in stone, you're not as apt to push a milestone back or shift a big initiative back um, six months. But we kind of see a lot of people in that once a month sweet spot of, okay, we plan out one year and then kind of monthly, we look at our strategic roadmap and make sure that everything's kind of in line, that we're kind of on on uh, track for meeting these goals. All right. So then when they're setting these roadmaps and, and they're product plans, how are they prioritizing what we put in those one year or six month timeframes? Yeah, this is another one that kind of varies again from company to company. And and we sort of in in the survey, we gave a lot of example prioritization methods, you know, value versus effort, effort, Cano method, etc. And we were we were really curious to see if there was a trend between uh, prioritization method and the success metrics that we had. And this was an area where we we were surprised by the results because at the end of the day, it doesn't really um, have a huge effect on your success, the prioritization method you choose. But what does have an effect on that success is that you have one and kind of stick to it. So we found that people who didn't know what their prioritization method was for features were much more likely to be unsuccessful in meeting their product goals. And so I think the idea is, Whatever kind of prioritization fits with your product team, with your company, with your product, um, that's great. But you kind of want everybody on the same page for that. That makes sense, right? It's the idea of doing it as of picking one for first of all, prioritizing, <laughs> making it a, at a, a strategic decision on how you prioritize and doing it consistently. So you're looking at everything through the same lens. You are comparing apples to apples based on the same criteria. Exactly. Consistency, I think, is the key there for sure. So another thing that uh, comes to mind when we talk about how frequently these get updated, right? If they're in a year time frame, and then if we're going to kind of re-look at them every month, that that's a lot of communication that has to go out. So not only do I need to communicate my overall plan, but I need to keep communicating that updated. And I imagine I'm communicating it to all kinds of people. So let's talk a little bit about all of those things, um, maybe in a in a... Nice little order. So first, who are we communicating these roadmaps out to? At at Product Plan, we realize that basically the audience of your roadmap is many-fold. You're going to be pushing it kind of upwards in the cake up to sort of executives and stakeholders and and maybe leadership. You're going to push it down to kind of execution or or sideways kind of to your engineering and marketing teams, that sort of thing. Um, And we really believe that the more people that are seeing that plan, the better. Um, and so for our survey, we were curious 
who the primary audience is for these roadmaps. Um, and by and a large, at, by far and away, at every kind of company stage, it was the executive team that was the chief audience. So for startups, for medium-sized companies, and for large companies, over 65% of them said that the uh, primary audience was executives. And that's understandable. Um, you know, usually you're trying to get kind of buy-in and you're trying to communicate that that plan and get the sign-off so that you can move into execution. I don't know if you guys asked this, but did you ask, are they showing the roadmap the same way to each audience? You know, we didn't. And this would be something that would be a little bit more anecdotal. You know, we talk with at least our customers and how they're sharing their roadmaps. And it's, uh, it's all sorts of different mediums, really. Um, we have one customer, Namely, who has their roadmap on a big touch screen in like a communal space on their office. And they have kind of the high level plan and everybody walking by can see the live up-to-date roadmap and you know, open it up somewhere else and comment on it or understand if milestones have been moved, that sort of thing at a very high level. Um, but then we also have people who heavily rely on our Slack integration and all roadmap changes just go into a Slack channel. And it's like, if you wanna know what's going on, just, just join this channel. Um, but then I think uh, kind of the more traditional model is uh, is having a roadmap and kind of sending an, an update to uh, your executive team and saying, hey, we, we modified the roadmap, check out the live version here, and just giving them a link so that they can check it out. But we kind of have all sorts of different ways that people do that. Yeah, that's interesting, because one of the things that we teach in our training is that the depth that you share about your roadmap really should vary by audience, right? So you know, your development team maybe needs to know a deeper understanding since they're going to want to execute it and your, and your executives need to understand the overall vision. But maybe, uh, you know, sales, we keep a little bit higher level so we're not pre-selling things we're not ready to where there might be changes in movement. And then certainly from a customer perspective, we're going higher level, less detailed, less uh, specificity on time frame as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and this is this is again kind of what we see at Product Plan and what we've built into our software. Um, we kind of have the ability to tag different initiatives and and view or hide them depending on the audience. And so you can kind of create a sales roadmap and and share that, and then create another version for customers, and then have another one that's totally public facing that. Um, that is kind of you know just the the rough ideas of what's coming near term, and it's really set up for like you said, do communicating the different uh, views and different versions to different audiences for sure. And that's such a, so that sounds a lot easier to do than maintaining a bunch of different you know PowerPoints or Excel files. Um, <laughs> yeah. How um, wide adoption do you see of this sort of roadmap softwares that have really taken off in the last five, 10 years? Is that something that has pretty wide market penetration or is it something that's still kind of coming into its own? You know, I would say, uh, I would say both. I say it's definitely come into its own as far as um, there's, there's significant adoption and we've seen this trend kind of year over year of people really shifting to uh, roadmap specific software tools. Um, but at the same time, we we talk with a lot of people that are still basically, uh, to put it crudely, building roadmaps in Excel and PowerPoint. There's no doubt about it that there's still a large portion of product managers that work in those tools. And those tools are great for other things and we get very comfortable in them. And so we just kind of try to twist them to apply to other tasks that we want to do, like building a visual roadmap. Um, but this was something in the survey that we really saw because we had 
the year-to-year -year comparison, we could really see that shift. And so what we saw this last year is that um, basically road mapping software is eating PowerPoint. Um, PowerPoint was the significantly most significantly reduced uh, tool and then roadmap specific software really increased. And so now it's the most popular tool for, for building roadmaps. And we really see that trend um, increasing as, as time goes on and as PMs kind of see the value and see how much easier it makes their day-to-day -day for, frankly, what we just talked about, kind of keeping those roadmaps live and sharing them easily with different team members. Well, and I think even uh, they'll probably take off more, not only when the PMs see that, boy, this is easier on a day-to-day -day living, but when you executive teams can understand the ability of those to serve as a rallying point for the entire organization, right? Clarity yeah. of vision, clarity of execution, clarity of mission that that kind of tool could provide is, you know, to some extent a wider benefit even than, boy, is it much easier for the PM to do. And I think when you talk about it being, you know, in a big kiosk in the center of the building where people can communicate and see it, there's a lot of um, organizational benefits that could come from that that, that are pretty exciting um, as well as making everyone's day-to-day -day job easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And we we see this in our customers, you know, Nike, Hulu, Panera, these these companies are are kind of shifting in in their product planning process, but they're also realizing that roadmaps are not just for product teams. So, we have a significant traction sort of in marketing teams and in IT teams, and what we see in these big organizations is that somebody will go to a meeting, somebody will have a product plan roadmap up on the screen. And another department or another team will see that and recognize the value, and then they'll implement it in their department as well. And so there is this idea of kind of contagious effect to mm -hmm. the efficiency that product plan or similar tools bring to an organization. Absolutely. All right. So you said you talked to a bunch of companies of different sizes. Did, did you notice any trends that varied based on the, on the size of the company when it came to roadmaps? We did, um, and this is something that I think is is kind of no surprise because we see product plan and we see product roadmaps as uh, strategic communication tools, right? You're looking to keep everybody in sync. You're looking to align the company around these goals and the, these initiatives. And frankly, when you're smaller, it's easier to keep everybody in sync. If you're kind of popping your head around the corner and asking the marketing team what their plan is for the next three months, or you're going to coffee with them regularly, it's it's kind of hard to fall out of sync. But as you get bigger, that's where these challenges, these communication challenges especially kick in. And so as far as sort of the primary objective on roadmaps, startups sort of reported that they were using roadmaps to really plan and prioritize. So they, they were in sync, but they wanted to be able to visualize a plan. They wanted to be able to prioritize those initiatives. And then as they got bigger, sort of medium-sized and larger companies were really seeing the value in communicating that product strategy, whether it's across sort of their team, their product teams, or whether it's organization-wide executives down to executors. Were there any differences that you saw on the level of the people that answered, right? Product leaders versus individual contributors or executives. Did they have different views on roadmaps? <laughs> they, they did. And um, the, the fun thing that I found out is that the more experienced you are, the more apt you are to share your opinion. So we got a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of uh, write-ins for the experienced folks sharing um, their sometimes jaded, sometimes optimistic perspectives on, on what it is to be a product manager. Uh, fair enough. But um, 
I think the the general trend was that there's there's sort of the the two camps and and product management itself is a very new field but there are now these pms that are coming into the field that are expect kind of a, a product road mapping tool like product plan and then there's the pms that kind of grew up having to cobble these solutions together and are now transitioning to that so we talked with a lot of people that were saying yes Obviously, I use a, a roadmap tool. I've used it since we started as a startup, and now we're big. Or we, or the other side is we're trying to transition, but we're stuck sort of in our older product management process. I could see adoption being somewhat easier if it's just like part of the DNA of the company than making the switch and, and getting people to, to look at it differently. Exactly. All right, Sean. Oh, this has been great. And we've talked about a lot of different things. If you were to pick two things that you wanted people to do differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Mm, that's a tricky one. There's a lot of a lot of data points sort of in the survey. And I would say, first off, I would tell people to kind of go get the survey and come to sort of their own conclusions based on the data. If they want to go to productplan.com slash report, they can get the full copy. But based on what what I've seen and what we've talked about. The first thing I would say is basically to stop thinking of your roadmap as a static document. I think we see the, uh, the translation of static roadmap to kind of static strategy. And that can be really damaging for a company if you're set in stone and these plans are, are not able to be updated live just based on the tool that you're using, it's gonna kind of have this ripple effect and you're not going to be as agile and you're not going to be as adaptable. And so I think kind of shifting that thinking from the RFP, from the static PowerPoint roadmap to something much more adaptable will have like a ripple effect in your organization and your team as a, as a PM. The second thing I would say is uh, as product managers, a lot of times we get, we're, we're very focused on the product and, and as we should be, but it's important to sometimes think outside of the product when you're thinking about your customers. And so there's this, there's this idea that there's so many touch points in that customer journey and there's so many different, different points at which your customers or your users form an opinion about your product. I would just kind of challenge people to think outside of that and think on the, the packaging side or think on the messaging side and, and get, get outside of your team and work with marketing, work with engineering and work with everybody to form this sort of cohesive customer journey. I think that's that's very important. And, and I think PMs can learn from that and really apply that. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. Yeah, thank you for having me, Rebecca. And a reminder for those listening, if you'd like a copy of the full report, you can access it at productplan.com slash report. Uh, that does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>